Coming up next on Tech News Weekly, it's me, Jason Howell. I start things off talking with Tara Garcia Matthewson, who wrote a report for The Markup all about the crazy privacy implications of being a college student in 2023. Ooh, it is a doozy. And I'm Micah Sargent. I speak to Eric Mijakovsky of Beeper about Beeper Mini, a way for you to join the Blue Bubble Boat and how a young developer reverse engineered iMessage. Then my story of the week, it's another PS say this time about how Apple and Google say governments are spying on people's phones by way of push notifications. That's so weird. I'm I'm so blown away that I never thought about that. Uh, And finally, I've got some really big news to share with you. That's coming up at the end of the show. Check it out. Tech News Weekly is next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 314, recorded Thursday, December 7th, 2023. Reverse engineering iMessage with Beeper Mini. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Bitwarden, the open source password manager to help you stay safe online. Get started with a free Teams or Enterprise plan trial or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. And by Mylio. Mylio Photos is a smart and powerful system that lets you easily organize, edit, and manage years of important documents, photos, and videos in an offline library hosted on any device. Check out their limited-time holiday gift bundle for a 25% discount on Mylio Photos Plus at mylio.com slash twit25. And by Melissa, the global leader in contact data quality. Bad data is bad business. Make sure your customer contact data is up to date this holiday season. Get started today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your hosts of Tech News Weekly, Micah Sargent. And I'm the other guy, Jason Howell. Good to see you, Micah. Good to see you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a, a pretty interesting show today. Indeed. So let's uh, let's jump right in. And I saw this story uh, that we're going to talk about right now or pretty early on in the week and um and I realized, like, this is a topic that uh, I'm really fascinated by. It's a very now thing. It's and it's entirely. This is a piece. It was a a report um, for the markup that's all about privacy and college and kind of the lack of privacy because everything at this point has been digitized and you know camera fied and and so many other things. So, you know, this is a topic that's very now, like, what is that data for? And is it necessary to be collecting all of this? And what does it feel like to be a student under the weight of all of this kind of this almost technology surveillance state? So we've got Tara Garcia Mathewson, who wrote the report for the markup, an excellent, very detailed report. And Tara, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You were talking in the pre-show that you were considering having um, the many kind of dimensions of this long report as individual components. And then you kind of crossed paths or discovered the subject of what you did end up posting. I, I guess start there. Tell us a little bit about how how that happened and why, you know, why you felt the need to kind of change course and really focus uh, like this. 
Yeah, well, I just started covering higher education at the end of July after years covering K-12 schools. And so I was reading very widely um, and coming across a lot of these concerns around tech and higher ed and data collection and tracking and surveillance. Um, And so I was, you know, thinking about telling this story in multiple different areas. standalone individual stories about e-proctoring, for example, or about automated license plate readers. Um, And then this student, Eric Natividad from California, he wrote in um, and mentioned his concerns with his school's data collection and ticked off a couple of the things that I had been looking into, including the the learning management system at his school, which I didn't mention before. Um, And so it seemed like a great opportunity to tick through a day in the life or a week in the life of a college student and all of the different types of data that is collected about them as they pursue their degrees. And I mean, and we can kind of get into some of these, (laughs) what I wrote down is tracking opportunities, opportunity (laughs) for whoever's doing the tracking, I suppose, Um, definitely intrusions on the, on the student, but uh, in a second, but um, as for, you know, Eric, like in talking with him about all of this, what is his general take? Because when I think of kind of this moment in technology, I see that there are often, you know, a few separate camps. There are the people that are are still very kind of overwhelmed by the amount of uh, data sharing and tracking. You know, I, I, I want a different way to phrase it than tracking opportunities, but it's just lodged in my head. Um, all of these moments and things throughout our life that are tracking us. And some people have kind of like negotiated with themselves to say like, well, that, you know what, everything's everything's online. This is just the way it is. I guess I've come to terms with it. And then there are the people that are really, you know, still steadfast, like, no, you know what? This is a right that we deserve to own for ourselves. Um, I imagine Eric is is in the latter camp there. Definitely. And I would say there's another group, too. There's a group that doesn't even realize everything that's being tracked. That's true. And Eric has come in uh, into contact with a lot of those students on his campus as he's been um, kind of agitating and talking to different people, um, fa- f- trying to find out if anybody else shares his concerns and trying to inform people who who have no idea. He's really running into a lot of um, apathy and then also just lack of understanding about what's even being collected. Yeah, apathy. Uh, that's that's a good word because it, it really Very does common. to a certain degree. And I've certainly felt this. I don't know about you, Micah, but I've certainly felt like at a certain point, it's like hands in the air. Like, you know, if it's not this, it's a million other things. What kind of power or influence do I actually have uh, other than the small things that I can do? But it sounds like there are ways to to tackle it. So what are some of these um, these data collection points that Eric is faced with that you that you wrote about? Yeah, so there's the academic side of things. Um, Colleges, basically all of them, have uh, what's called learning management systems. Um, Professors put on reading material, quizzes, um, discussion prompts. All these things are put onto an online system um, at Eric's College, it's it's Canvas, which is um, offered by a company called Instructure. Um, Blackboard's another one. There are a handful. Um, And so so much of education in 2023, whether you're taking an online course or not, happens in these learning management systems. And there's a ton of data that's collected specifically um, and passed along to professors and instructors. And so there's all of these analytics about, you know, who's completed the assignments, who's completed the readings, when do they do so. Um, It's an unprecedented grant, yeah, unprecedented level of granular data about, um, what students are completing when it comes to coursework. And so that's a key one. Um, on the academic side as well, you have e-proctoring, which got a lot of pushback during COVID mm-hmm. when basically all exams became remote. 
um, students needed to allow their webcams to turn on and turn over their cameras to um, a, a private company um, to either have a proctor watching them take a test remotely or log the footage to pass on to a professor and then, um, you know, offer flags once the the machine that was watching the video um, could identify whether there were abnormal face or eye or hand movements. Ah. Um, yes, they're, they're tracking exactly what students are doing as they're looking into their screen and taking a test. And that caused a lot of problem for lots of different types of students. And so you have... Um, you know, dark skinned students whose cameras weren't even recognizing that they were sitting in front of them. Oh. Imagine the anxiety that goes into not even be able to use the program your professor says you need to prove that you're not cheating on an exam. Um, so that created a lot of problems. Um, you have online textbooks as well. So Cengage is one I mentioned in the article. They're a textbook company. Um, they track as much or more than the learning management systems. And so Cengage in their online um, privacy policy says, you know, they're, they're looking at your keystrokes. So what and how you're typing on a page as you're answering an online prompt at a, in an online textbook activity, for example. Um, they're looking at how your mouse is moving around the screen, what pages you're looking at and how long you're looking at them. And they share that information with their partners who offer targeted advertising to students, um, either on their pages or elsewhere on the web. Um, and then, you know, school websites often send information to analytics companies. Um, Google, for example, Google Analytics, they're sending information to Facebook, um, again, for advertising, this whole big advertising industry that happens online. Um, so that's only the academic side. And then there's more because students live on campus. And so it's where they're going around campus, where they're parking, um, what buildings they're entering, how often they're going to the dining hall, how often they're accessing medical services. The list really goes on and on. Oh my goodness. It's dizzying at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of think of it as, as like a little, uh, a, a, a city of surveillance, <laughs> you know, within the confines of a campus, which is not really actually that funny. Um, how does all of this compare to the way things were prior to the pandemic? I mean, in many ways, the pandemic was a catalyst for so many changes in what we would consider normal. Is this another one of those things or were we seeing some of this already kind of the culmination and the buildup of some, of a lot of the surveillance uh, stuff prior to the pandemic? Yeah, this has definitely been ramping up, I would say, over the last 10 years or so, um, 10 to 15. I mean, learning management systems have been in use for a while. Um, it's just that more is being put into them. So during COVID, when everything went online, professors who had relied on more paper for classroom materials put it online and then maybe have kept it there since. Um, and so more went there. Um, and then there's just this increasing digitization of, of everything, this kind of increasing power of the ad tech industry that wants as much data about us as possible. And so everything that happens on a computer offers the potential to be logged and tracked and then added to this you know, bigger picture profile of us as consumers. Um, and then, you know, e-proctoring as well. This was something that was born of necessity during the pandemic for a lot of institutions, um, but people have kept it. And, you know, some students think it's convenient to be able to take a test from home. Sure. And so it's not it's not universal opposition to basically any of these things. There are a lot of students that, that see the benefits of the convenience. It's you know, trying to figure out what is responsible and when does it cross the line.
Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, now, one thing that you uh, that you talk about in your piece that I thought was a really kind of interesting thing for me to think about is that, you know, the college students now who are facing a lot of this, they were teenagers not very long ago and not very long ago, you know, they were, they were probably at least to some degree, some of them were, you know, doing things like oversharing on social media and really, you know, uh, recognizing this, this thing called social media is a thing is, you know, exists and they can use that to really share all all aspects of their life and now they've kind of crossed over at least you know some some of those students have really um you know been faced with the opportunity to recognize oh hey wait a minute maybe there is a downside to this is this is this evidence like what you're talking about with with eric and you also talk a little bit about um advocacy groups and that sort of thing is that evidence that maybe some of these uh kind of norms around data sharing and stuff are changing that the that the children really are our future. <laughs> yes. And I think as researchers actually talked to students about their behavior on social media and asked them about their sharing, um, even 10 years ago when everybody thought kids don't care about privacy because look at what they're sharing on social media, people who actually asked them questions or looked carefully at what they were sharing saw clearly that it was context specific. So a student felt like it was reasonable to share personal things with a circle of friends on Mm. a social media network, for example. And that same person does not think it's acceptable to have their keystrokes logged, for example, uh, when visiting a website that, you know, this company shouldn't know exactly what and how I type before I even press enter to submit an online form. So uh, I think the context specific nature, we didn't give kids credit for Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Um, And the privacy researchers that I spoke with said that there's a kind of more widespread understanding that students do care about privacy. Young people do care about privacy. And, you know, whether they care or not, they have a right to it. They have a right to it. Okay. So along that line, then, um, are there are there ways that students who are faced with this like mountain of um, tracking, you know, points throughout what they do on campus? Like, are there ways for them to have any sort of control over this? Or is it really at this point, you know, there's probably a limited amount of things that a student could do, but you, you're almost forced, your hand is forced to a certain degree. Yeah, we found a really limited number of things that students could do to avoid any of this tracking. Um, So, I can tick through some of the things that Eric's doing because he's really getting almost as much as he can. Um, So when he gets online, he uses a VPN, a virtual private network, which obscures his location um, and also um, encrypts some of the traffic over over his internet connection. And so that helps at least keep the data that he's producing separate from his own personal profile with with, um, some of the companies that might otherwise be tracking him or his his university. Um, So that's one big one. Um, He talks to all of his professors who assign online textbooks and explains that he prefers the paper version. And so he's gotten out of having to use Cengage, for example, um, in prior semesters. This semester, one of his professors just said, no, he needed to use it. Um, So that only goes as far uh, as the professors will allow it. 
the automated license plate reader system on his campus. Um, he has chosen not to get a monthly parking pass and turn over his information to the company that runs that. Um, the ALPR cameras still capture his vehicle when it's parked on campus, but he parks in spaces where he needs quarters for the meters and so expects that he's keeping himself a little bit out of that, um, that source of data collection. Um, otherwise, there's not a lot students can do uh, except advocate. And so that's why you mm-hmm. see these, you know, more student groups being formed and more um, kind of online petitions around privacy and security. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, I um, urge everybody who, you know, is is watching and listening to check out Tara's um, article on the markup because we really are only scratching the surface of what exactly this looks like. It's a fascinating look into um, kind of the technical uh, the technological kind of weight that is placed upon the shoulders of uh, college students these days. So, Tara, really appreciate you uh, taking time with us today and telling us all about it. Tara Garcia Matthewson for The Markup. If people want to follow and find you online, where can they do so? Oh, they can do so on Twitter. Uh, I have a presence on threads. I'm new to some of these newer social media sites. So um, (laughs) (laughs) go to themarkup.org. They're better about sharing my stuff than I am. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Tara. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Up next, another way for Android users to hop on that blue bubble boat. Oh, yeah. But first, let's take a quick break so I can tell you about our first sponsor. It's Bitwarden, who are bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. It's the only open source cross-platform password manager you can trust. Security Now's Steve Gibson has even switched over to Bitwarden. So why not join him. With Bitwarden, all of the data in your vault is end-to-end encrypted, not just your passwords. Bitwarden protects you by creating unique usernames and adding strong, randomly generated passwords for each account or using any of the six integrated email alias services. You can log into Bitwarden and decrypt your vault after using SSO on a registered trusted device with no master password needed. On top of being public to the world, Bitwarden has professional third-party audits performed yearly and published on its website. You can even view all of Bitwarden's code on GitHub. Share private data securely with fully customizable plans for personal or business needs. You can start with a personal plan that is free forever and get unlimited devices, unlimited passwords, and passkey management, or enjoy premium features by upgrading to a premium account for less than a dollar a month. And for only $3.33 a month, their family plan will give you up to six accounts with premium features and unlimited sharing and collections. Their enterprise plan is just six $6 per user per month, and they now have a Teams starter plan, which is a flat $20 per month for 10 users, which provides great value for smaller teams with all the premium features. You can also pay $4 a month per user with teams of 11 or more. At Twit, we are fans of password managers. So get started with Bitwarden's free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. That's bitwarden.com slash twit. Thank you, Bitwarden, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. All right. So you may have heard about a number of services out there that would let you, as a non-iPhone user, be able to... Me. Yes, join (laughs) the, as I'm calling it, the blue bubble boats, the ability to send iMessages to your iMessage friends and receive iMessages in return. But until... Very recently, I hadn't seen one that was doing things differently 
from the way that we've seen these services run in the past. Joining us today to talk about this new Beeper mini service is Beeper co-founder Eric Mijakovsky. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, Mika. Hi. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. So uh, let's kind of kick things off by talking about Beeper Mini in general, because this was a recent announcement and it uh, certainly has has kind of kicked off. What is Beeper Mini? How is it different from Beeper? And then how is it different from some of the other services that uh, claim to be able to let you send messages and receive messages from iMessage folks? So I've been working on chat for just over three years now. Uh, We started three years ago because we wanted to solve the problem that a lot of people have. When they look down at their phone, there's a folder full of different chat apps that all kind of do the same thing, except a different, uh, you know, subset of your contact list is on each app. That's what we set out to do. Um, And our first product, Beeper Cloud, actually does that. Um, It's an app that lets you chat with anyone on 15 different chat networks. Uh, We've got a desktop app, an iOS app, an Android app. But through the course of building Beeper Cloud, we realized that uh, there was this kind of very special problem to Android users. Basically, uh, there's no iMessage app for Android. And here in the U.S., a lot of people use iMessage, especially iPhone users, as their primary means of communication. Um, When iPhone users text Android users, they have to send green bubble SMS messages. These are generally just they're, they're worse in a lot of ways that you can't send full resolution images. You can't send emoji tapbacks. Uh, and then, of course, they're not encrypted. So anyone can read those messages. We wanted to bring that to Android. Um, over the last couple of years, we've had a solution that kind of worked, but it wasn't perfect, kind of as you alluded to. Um, over the summer, though, that all changed. We met a 16-year-old security researcher who had reverse-engineered iMessage, the entire protocol. Uh, We started working with him, and over the last three months, we built Beeper Mini, which is a dedicated iMessage app for Android. Um, It is a native app, which means that there's no server or other system involved. The app connects directly to Apple servers, and you can send and receive uh, Bluebubble messages um, with all of your iPhone friends. Wow. Okay, so there's a lot to break down in there. First and foremost, I have to tell you, I had read through the blog uh blog post and, you know, gave it a quick cursory read first and then went back and was, you know, really going into it, looking at the links. And when I hopped over to the JJ Tech website, which JJ Tech is responsible for the um, the the reverse engineering, as you mentioned, the first thing I saw on the side of the page was high school student learning many different languages and technologies. And I thought, wait, what? Hmm. Um, so that first and foremost is pretty incredible. Now, so I, I think one, before we get into everything, I am kind of curious if you could sort of delineate for me what is involved that JJ Tech brought to the game and then what is involved that Beeper brought to the game here. So his major breakthrough was being able to send and receive iMessage protocol messages from any computer. Before that, you had to have an iPhone or a Mac or an iPad in order to send iMessage messages. His breakthrough allowed any any device at all 
to do it. And his proof of concept that he published, it's just a Python script. So you could run that Python script on pretty much any computer that supports Python. Um, so uh, we obviously had the same reaction to you, like we were just blown away. Because, because what he did was had never been done before. Right. It was truly unique. It's yeah, that was that was pretty incredible. Now, one of the things that you talk about in uh, in the system, or rather in the blog post that kind of gives the rundown of everything that's involved here, uh, you go into, and I should say, uh, everyone should go read the blog post because it goes into great detail, including in the appendix that kind of breaks things down and looks at how you're sending information, how you're not. One thing that I was interested to hear more about is the way that you have integrated the beeper push notification service, which of course is one unique aspect of this app that you've created due to the way that Android devices versus iOS devices work in terms of being able to receive uh, push notifications from Apple and its servers. So can you kind of break that down for us and explain where beeper mini comes into play in that uh, aspect? Sure. So many developers in the audience probably are very familiar with APNS, the Apple Push Notification Service. That's the service that sends push notifications to iPhones and iPads to wake their app up in the background and receive new incoming messages or updates or whatever. Um, but obviously, Android phones don't support APNS. Uh, Google has a different service called Firebase Cloud Messaging. It's very similar to APNS, but it doesn't work. Uh, they don't work together. So we had to build a bridge uh, that allows a new push notification from um, APNS to be kind of transferred over to Firebase, to FCM, and send through to Android. And we had to do that in a way where no confidential or private information was uh, available to either Google or Apple. Um, but we figured it out and created a bridge. So uh, when you receive a new notification um, in Beeper Mini, we were able to uh, send a push to your phone that wakes it up in the background um, without actually exposing any of your information to uh, either Beeper or um, Firebase. Right. Now, I want to go through some of the reactions that I had heard, have heard earlier in the week and some of the questions the folks have had. Um, one thing that stood out, and I think this was just a matter of maybe folks not necessarily reading the blog post to understand, is the sign-in process that kicks off in Beeper Mini. So you're not required to sign in with your Apple ID. Signing in with your Apple ID gives you the ability to essentially receive these iMessage no, or iMessages on other devices like your iPad and everything else, uh, and that it all syncs. But when you first sign in to the Android app, you sign in with Google. Can you explain what that what is involved there? Because I again heard some early reactions where they were just kind of confused about what the Google sign-in has to do with the rest of the process. Oh, yeah. It's, it's extremely simple to use Beeper Mini. You just go on the uh, Google Play Store and search for Beeper Mini. Um, it takes about 15 to 20 seconds to actually set it up. It's incredible. Like you mentioned, you don't actually need an Apple ID to use Beeper Mini. You can set it up solely with your phone number, which means that your phone number becomes a blue bubble whenever an iPhone friend uh, sends you a text. And you can also be added into group chats because most people text using their phone numbers. Um, we use the Google account login 
just as a, a way of kind of authenticating who's using the app. And then after that step, the only other thing you need to do is grant Beeper Mini um, SMS permission. We do that because we need to be able to send a message to Apple's servers to confirm that you own that phone number. And we also use that to import your past SMS history. So when you start using Beeper Mini, you can see which of your friends that you previously had been texting are actually on iMessage. And then the big thing that I have heard folks wondering about, and I'm curious where you stand currently when it comes to the fact that this is now an influx of Android users who are accessing in some way Apple's servers by way of uh, APNS. What, what do you, I mean, A, do you know of any reaction yet from Apple itself? B, do you predict any reaction from Apple itself? And C, what is the stance of Beeper in terms of, uh, you know, the legality and the potential blowback and everything that's involved there? Like, that's that's definitely the, the sort of elephant in the room. Even if it's a big, soft, blue elephant, it's still an <laughs> elephant in the room. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit shocked that everyone else is so shocked at this idea. At the end of the day, currently, as iPhone users, when you text an Android person you're getting a pretty crappy experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And considering that 50% of the U.S. uses Android, that's a lot of iPhone to Android conversations that have really small images, uh, blurry videos, and most importantly, lack of end-to-end -end encryption. And so for a company like Apple that prides itself in having the utmost you know, security and privacy, it is a pretty glaring oversight to say that iPhone, you know, you see the billboards on the 101. It says iPhone equals private or iPhone equals secure. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, there's an asterisk after that that says, well, you know, except when you're texting someone on an Android phone. So with Beeper Mini, all of the conversations between iPhones and Androids are actually encrypted. They get full resolution images. And I would say that Beeper Mini actually makes the iPhone experience better. Uh -huh. So if I were Apple, I would actually encourage this. Like this is a this is an app that actually makes iPhone users experiences better and more secure. I would agree. And by the way, hi, it's good to see you again, Eric. Had you on a couple of years on All That Android um, a couple of years ago to talk about the kind of the original instance of, of Beeper, or at least back in 2021. Um, I would agree that it's better for users. Um, Apple, I mean... Apple apparently doesn't doesn't care at least enough to do it themselves because they haven't mm -hmm. right is does um I guess where I'm where I'm go where my mind is at right now is you mentioned reverse engineering iMessage and when it comes down to like a legality mm -hmm. question when it comes down to like you know these other services have tried to do the iMessage on Android thing Apple was not very happy about that but it's different this time or maybe it isn't different or maybe it is I, that's I guess my question but is that because reverse engineering iMessage is different from creating something that like forces so it to work. IPhone. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. is there something about the process of reverse well, so engineering actually, that, that absolves, um, absolves you potentially from legal interference from Apple? So just, just about three weeks ago, Apple actually announced that they're going to support the RCS mm -hmm. open source chat protocol standard right. um, sometime by the end of 2024. That's great. You know, 
it's going to be amazing to have Apple uh, iPhones be able to send messages using a standardized protocol. Um, so I think it's clear that Apple already recognizes that they have a pretty glaring deficiency here between iPhones and Androids, and they're working to solve that. Um, Beeper already supports RCS. So as soon as iPhone or Apple publishes an iOS update that supports um, I, uh, RCS messaging, you know, I think the, the the problem might already be solved right there and then. Yeah. And we're excited about that because our long-term ambitions for Beeper is not just to focus on iMessage. We're actually building a universal chat app, one app that lets you chat with anyone on any chat platform. We'll be supporting 15 different chat networks uh, when we get it all set up. Uh, so <laughs> um, ultimately, it's it's feeling like uh, this is a question that can't be answered uh, in terms of, of what we what what you think Apple's um reaction to this in particular is going to be like and but they already reacted i mean they they public they said that they're going to be adopting an open source chat protocol standard so it's clear that they're making moves in this direction and i think that's great honestly mm. yeah, yeah absolutely agree. and yeah. and you know your earlier point too about i mean as an iphone user i 100 percent agree that any means of making the communication between two devices easier and better is a win for everybody involved. And as you've said, this maintains that encryption. I think where, it, and that, that's, that's the interesting thing to watch, right? How does Apple potentially balance this as, you know, the, the billboards on the 101, this push for more encryption, more privacy and a better experience for its users with maybe some sort of reaction to this or maybe not. And that has been uh, kind of what I've seen in terms of the reaction to this is going, I'm, this I'm is super optimistic cool. here. I think like most companies want to make uh, the experience better for their users, mm -hmm. more secure, more features. There's not many companies that actually want to make things go backwards. Hmm. Well, that is in, that is definitely optimistic and I am optimistic about it. I want this to continue on. Yeah, I do too. Um, I would love to know that when I send Jason messages <laughs> that, and he sends them to me that we're getting them in full quality and I'm not worried about the message not delivering yeah, or something yeah. that has been, or if we're in a group message, uh, yeah, yeah, a, they, yeah, group, group message group, actually breaks it. together. Yeah, that totally. is great. So, yeah, um, we want this. Yeah. Congratulations to the, uh, young individual who, reverse engineered this in the first place and uh, great work to you and the team who have implemented this in a way that, you know, actually is working. I just uh, earlier this week received several messages uh, from uh, Leo Laporte, the founder of the network, who was going, I'm sending these for my Google Pixel right now. How are they coming through? Does everything look right? And it was all just working. It yeah. was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to see. And I love the open source nature of what you're doing as well, that you're, you're saying, look, we've got it out Thank there. Um, really respect to that in the post you talk about, Hey, any security uh, folks who want to look at the special version of the app that kind of reveals some of the, uh, the way that messages are being sent and what's being sent and how that that's out there. So yeah, I think that's, uh, fantastic. Um, so folks can head to the Google Play Store to find Beeper Mini. Uh, if they want to stay up to date with what the company is doing and what you're doing, is there a place online they should go? Yeah, we're on Twitter, uh, at OnBeeper. Wonderful. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk about Beeper Mini. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you, have you join us again in the future. Thank you, Eric. Great to chat with you guys. Thanks very much for having us on. Great to see you.
All righty. Up next, another PSA from yours truly. I think I had one last week. Um, but first, we will take a quick break so I can tell you about the next sponsor. It's Mylio, who are bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. We have become big fans of Mylio photos. And right now, for a limited time, you got to hop on this. Mylio is offering a holiday gift bundle, which means it's the perfect time to get started. The holiday gift bundle includes one full year of Mylio Photos Plus, easy-to-use editing software Radiant Photo, and premium membership to the photographer community platform ViewBug. Mylio Photos recently dropped the year's biggest update, offering even more customization, accessibility options, and control to how you handle your digital libraries. Mylio Photos Plus offers even more by letting you connect all your devices and take full advantage of the new shared albums and spaces tools to share your media with customized control and privacy. I love that all of my photos across all of my devices, across all of the different services that are out there, are able to be in one location and I can make sure that even if, you know, for some reason Instagram in the future goes down, (laughs) that I still have all of the photos that I've posted over many, many years, basically ever since I owned a smartphone to Instagram. And the search features of Mylio photos are really magical that I can do it by keyword and find the photo that's on the beach that has a dog in it where everyone's smiling and it was in the year 2018 and be able to find those exact photos I was thinking of in my head it's pretty cool And then one of the newer features, Spaces, it lets you sort and organize files into subject-specific views like family, work, personal, and private. And you can also create custom spaces for whatever you want. This opens the door for more productive collaborations with your team or automatically sharing photos with family members signed into the account. And with remote control, you have full control over what's visible and which tools are available on each device connected to your account, no matter who it is. It's perfect for work portfolios, managing project assets, and even personal organization. You can even use Mylio Photos for free on one device. So get 25% off your first year of Mylio Photos Plus today for a limited time. Check out the holiday gift bundle for even more great deals by going to our special URL, mylio.com slash twit25 for your 25% discount. That's M-Y-L-I-O dot com slash twit25. So download Mylio Photos Plus for free right now at mylio.com slash twit25. All right, we are back from the break, and that means it's time for my story of the week. Um, Again, this is another kind of PSA. Uh, Reuters received a report, um, I believe, earlier this, was it earlier this week or earlier? Yeah, just earlier this week, um, as we're recording this show on Thursday, December 7th, that um, governments are spying on Apple and Google users through push notifications. This is uh, has been uh, revealed to us by uh, Senator Ron, is it Whedon or Wyden? I can never remember. Wyden, I believe. Wyden. Yeah. And uh, this was a letter written to the Department of Justice. And because that information has been delivered in that way, uh, it's been able to be confirmed by Apple and other tech companies. Essentially, what's going on here is it's using what I would call a bit of a loophole, or at least a place, if not a loophole, it's a, it's uh, I can't think of what those are called, a, a pit trap, a pit trap, because it's, it's something you're not paying attention to, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you fall into it, 
a pit trap. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're all paying attention to the other means of record collection. And maybe you didn't think about push notifications. Mm-hmm. But push notifications, as we just talked about with uh, Eric Majakovsky, um, Eric was talking about how with Beeper, uh, what they've had to do is Apple's push notification service is in charge of all push notifications that come through on your device, okay? And so any company, any app has to register and use Apple's push notification service. And then on Google, same thing applies that there's a push notification service that the companies use. And so you essentially have like a clearinghouse, Google and Apple serve as these clearinghouses where the notification system from the company or the app goes to Google or goes to Apple, and then it serves your push notification to your phone. What companies or what the government is doing, and this includes the United States government as well as other governments, is requesting that push notification data, and then they're able to see in almost every case what's available to be seen is that a specific account is receiving push notifications from a specific app or service. So you could, at the very least, make a link between uh, this this person's device getting notifications from an encrypted messaging service. You could confirm that, at the least. Mm-hmm. But Apple... And I'm not I'm not sure about Google because the uh, Vice article only mentions Apple in terms of, of confirming this. Apple does not require that developers encrypt their push notifications. It highly encourages it, but it is an added, you know, uh, effort. And so I guess that's why it's not required. It's just highly suggested. Mm-hmm. So you may ver- like as far as I know, when I get a notification from um for, well, I won't, I won't name a specific one because I don't know for sure. So let's say I've got an app that is for grocery delivery and I order my groceries and then I get these notifications. Hey, this person sent you a message to let you know that your favorite soda is out of stock. And so do you want something to replace it? Those notifications that are coming through, if, those, if that app chose not to encrypt them, then the government would have access to that. Obviously, the government doesn't care about my groceries, but the point is... If there is an opportunity to pull information from that, it may very well be uh, may very well be grabbed that way. Now, there's not a whole lot, unfortunately, that we as individual users can use um, or can do uh, to try and course correct for this, other than to reach out to the developers of the apps we use, particularly the apps that we use that we want that extra level of privacy. Mm -hmm. So if you are using a messaging app or service um, and it doesn't specifically talk about those push notifications being encrypted, then you would want to. What a point of failure that would be. Yeah, exactly. If you had a messaging app that was fully encrypted, but the notifications aren't, because they're traveling, like you said, between servers as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so that is something you need to uh, be mindful of essentially is that hey look it may very well be the case that you are um getting notifications that if the if your data was subpoenaed by way of your apple id which is then associated with a registered apple push notification service token that could be grabbed and would be able to be um you know used as part of you know some legal process Mm -hmm. so 
again, uh, so he, I'll, I'll say Google uh, did respond about it, uh, said in an emailed statement to Motherboard, we were the first major company to publish a public transparency report sharing the number and types of government requests for user data we receive, including these requests referred to uh, by the senator. We share the senator's commitment to keeping users informed about these requests. Um, Apple did update its uh, privacy report to make sure that these specifically, the push notification type requests, are separated out so they're able so that you're able to at least see how many times and which governments requested these kinds of push notifications or rather this kind of uh, data so yeah I, I think it's just something to be mindful of that you may be using an app um, or you know whatever service that is delivering your push notifications and if it's not doing it in an encrypted manner it's likely that um, that data could be used against you in a court of law. Uh, so. This is a really um, interesting oversight that I never really Right, that's considered. why it's a pit trap. Yeah, we, I never thought about <laughs> the push notification being the thing that would be the, at issue here and that they were even collecting push notification information specifically. It's just, yeah, and that's why I think uh, the senator wanted to reach yeah. out about this. Yeah, is, yeah. Uh, it was something that they investigated it says the senator's office received a tip last year that government agencies in foreign countries were demanding smartphone push notification records from google and apple and so the senator wrote in to attorney general merrick garland and said that uh his staff had been investigating this tip for the past year and that uh it was indeed um doing this but that the practice was restricted from public release by the government hmm. and so i guess I don't know if this was like a, if this was a, a, a purposeful move. I don't know. The, specifically speaking of this, I don't know that if you write a letter to the Department of Justice, if that means that that letter is a, is available to the public. Yeah. And so this yeah. was kind of a way of of saying, "Hey, we're restricted from talking about this. Can you address it?" And then suddenly, because it's Freedom of Information Act, now we know about it. I don't know. That's pretty cool if that's how this was done. But basically, yeah, up to this point that information was restricted from public release by wow. the government. So we know now, which is cool. Um, <laughs> cool. But yeah, it's cool that we <laughs> one, know, one, I guess. One word for it. <laughs> yeah, we know, but what does that do? Um, yeah. You know, turn off your push notifications, I guess. That that could be one way of doing it. If you don't have push notifications yeah. on for a messaging app, um, you won't know when they come in. You'll just have to check. But it would mean that, um, you know, those push notifications aren't going to Apple servers or Google servers. Yeah. And then those requests are exactly out of sync knowing is half the battle <laughs> it's it's, a, it's, it's a i was about to say point. it's a small half but that doesn't yeah. make sense knowing is a quarter of the battle <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I think what's interesting to me is is that it, like we already said it never this aspect of it really never of privacy never really occurred to me before yeah. Um, and then understanding kind of the, the technological structure of how push notifications are managed, you know, I would I would imagine that there's probably not a lot of thought put into what that infrastructure actually looks like. Like, I'm sure at some points, because I haven't really done a lot of deep consideration around push notifications, I might just assume that this is something that is just translated from the app itself and yes. not from a server in the cloud. A hundred percent. And you that's know? what I think a lot of... I, I, I would imagine I that's think, what, what yeah, most people, people would probably, probably think they that, had to think about it. That the app is just sending push notifications. But I, the only way that I knew about push notifications 
requiring so much is because I used to work at a startup and I remember when we first implemented push notifications in our app and how long that took and how many errors there were and all mm. the work that was required. Okay. And so I knew that because not only do you have to have registration with Apple's push notification service, but you also have to have stuff in your own system that is like the push notification gets pushed to Apple that gets pushed to your device. Mm -hmm. So it's this whole process that's involved Mm -hmm. and requires a lot of, of, of work and a lot of insight and a lot of, uh, special, you know, making sure the data isn't too much. I mean, it's just, it's kind of wild, right? Because you think about how it means handling notifications across millions and millions of devices in some cases you know the mm-hmm. new york times sends out a push yeah, notification right and that's a lot of devices that all get alerted that they need to you know pop up with this thing yeah so yeah it's it's quite involved um but yeah you, you i don't think you think about this uh, no. front of mind and so i'm glad that you know now we're going oh right Here's another place. That's another vector where, yeah. yep, you got to pay attention. Well, and the, and the unencrypted nature of the majority of it, that, that kind of blows me away too. So yeah. then, you know, so then I could, I could absolutely see, you know, I don't know about Apple, but I could definitely see Google saving that for a future Android update to be like, you know, all, all, all of our push, push notifications, notifications yeah. now, you know, uh, encryption, uh, encrypted, re- uh, encryption required. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some sort of um, move. In yeah, that direction. I wonder, I kind of wonder why that's not the case. Exactly. That's what I wonder. Because a device, I think it's probably because it is a lot of work for an app developer and because they would have to do the generation of public and private keys, the uh, private keys stored on your device. Okay. Yeah. And so I think that that is sort of cryptography is not something that every developer is capable of doing. And it mm-hmm. would maybe lead to not as many developers. I, but this is all just speculation. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I don't totally. know exactly why they don't, but super um, interesting. Yeah. Perhaps this is going to lead to, uh, also Apple saying, we figured out a way to make it so that it's easy to implement push notification uh, encryption on every you know, app. Well, and Apple and Google just... are so reactive right now to right. the threat of, of you know, force yeah. regulation around Absolutely. certain things. So it's it's kind of like ripe for the picking to a certain degree. Actually, if the EU did this, then it would definitely happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All righty. Up next, you might want to be sitting down for Jason Howell's story of the week. I'm not kidding. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by our friends at Melissa, the global leader in contact data quality. This holiday season, let Melissa help your business meet online shopping expectations, increase ROI, reduce waste and costs associated with lost and undeliverable packages, and improve your customers' overall satisfaction. The importance of early preparedness for retailers before the holiday season is indisputable. Here are some of Melissa's tips to help you get started. You can start by cleaning out your contact data with Melissa's data cleansing solutions. All of your stale, outdated data gets replaced with verified, accurate information, such as replacing old addresses for people who have moved and adding new emails or phone numbers. Customers always want a seamless experience with efficient delivery, so make sure your business is meeting their expectations. Next day and two-day delivery implementation is in high demand. Melissa ensures that addresses are verified and standardized at checkout with their autocomplete tool. Not only does having a verified address at checkout ensure the address is deliverable, but it also cuts down on keystrokes by up to 75%, making your customer's experience quicker 
and easier. Offering bundles and cross-selling to existing customers is more cost-efficient than finding new ones. The holiday season is the perfect time to do this since customers are most likely shopping for others. Profiling your data can give you a better understanding of your customer base and best-selling products, which can help you create more effective marketing strategies. Matching and deduping your data will clean your database, allowing you to see a complete 360-degree view of each customer. This will also help you better understand your customers, allowing for more personalized marketing and a better customer experience overall. Melissa has achieved the highest level of security status available by gaining FedRAMP authorization. And while these technologies are exclusively for government agencies, all Melissa users automatically gain this superior level of security. Melissa's solutions and services are GDPR and CCPA compliant and meet SOC 2 and HIPAA high trust standards for information security management. Make sure your customer contact data is up to date. Get started today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. That's melissa.com slash twit. And of course, we thank Melissa for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. Alrighty, folks, I hope you're sitting down. Jason Howell, it's time for your story of the week. Oh, my goodness, my story of the week. I don't even know where to begin on this one. <laughs> um... Well, I'll just cut to the chase. This is my last episode at Twit. I am uh, done with this episode of Tech News Weekly. And actually, we do have some things that we're going to do after this episode. So this won't be the official last, last time you'll see me on the network. But, um, you know, you've uh, you've heard Lisa and Leo talking uh, pretty strongly about kind of the challenges in podcasting and running a podcast network. And they have to... You know, they have to make changes here at Twit. And so I am, uh, I will only speak for myself, yeah. but I am uh, officially, you know, being laid off from the company. And um, I got to tell you, I'm in a really great place about it. Like, I'm actually in a pretty fantastic place. So you'll see me smile. You might see me tear up a little bit, but that would probably primarily be because I've been here for 13 years and. I've known and worked with a, a lot of really great people and really enjoyed my time here. And um, so, you know, there's there's some sadness there for sure. Um, the fact that I am allowed to come here and do this show with you and uh, kind of have the ability to talk to everyone and, and kind of share this news, be kind of the first person to to really share this news I'm just really grateful for that. Um, it was really a wonderful um, gesture from Lisa and Leo, uh, Leo to let me do that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, this kind of it, folks. I started back in 2010, and my uh, yeah, my time here has been really, I, I got to say, pretty remarkable. I've had a really great time. I've learned a lot. When I think about like when I started at Twit, um, you know, I was just coming over from CNET. I'd been working with Tom Merritt. In podcasting at CNET for about five years, he was hired over from CNET to Twit, and Tom was doing Tech News Today, which actually, if you're watching Tech News Weekly right now, that is the successor to TNW, is is Tech News Today. That was really um, why Tom was pulled over, was to do the five days a week, you know, daily tech news show. And um, a few weeks or a few months later, I got a call from Lisa and... You know, she said, hey, can we bring you in for an interview? I found out that Tom kind of reached out and said, hey, man, you know, I want you to produce this with me and pulled me over and 
jumped in as I am wont to do because Tom really gave me my introduction to podcasting and I highly respected Leo at the time as well. You know, we'd, we'd done a lot of like cross, uh, cross opportunity stuff between CNET and twit. So I was very familiar with, with Leo and his, uh, his rich history in the industry. And, uh, when I came over, I was primarily like a producer slash editor. So I was doing a lot of the editing stuff, um, behind the scenes and, um, you know, over the years, kind of got the opportunity to do other things. Um, Eileen at the time, that's Tom's wife, uh, said, hey, we should start an Android show. And so we did all about Android. That was amazing fun. I mean, to to the to the end. I mean, all about Android, you know, went away just a handful of months ago. Right. And really, you know, largely is, is one of the big kind of key things that defines for me how enjoyable it, it has been to work here and be given kind of the freedom and flexibility to really do what I want. And that really kind of developed over the years. TNT, you know, had, had its fluctuations. Tom left, Mike Elgin uh, came in uh, the role for a couple of years. Then um, when Mike left, Megan Maroney came in and Megan and I kind of refired up a TNT in the spirit of the original TNT, kind of the five days a week, you know, really kind of tried to kind of recapture the fun of the of the five days a week, which I still can you imagine doing five days that, a week? That blows my mind. <laughs> you two must have just never slept. <laughs> just, well, you oh. know, what's weird about it is when I think about it, like when I think about it now, you know, having distance from it, mm-hmm. I'm like, how did we pull that off? That's, but at the time it just was like, just worked. when I was at CNET, we were doing buzz out loud and that was a five day a week news show. So that was like my introduction to uh, mostly my introduction to podcasting mm-hmm. was getting on that, that hamster wheel and then coming over to Twitter, it was right into TNT and it was the same thing. So it was just kind of what I knew. So, you know, the, all of my, um, my habits and my approaches and everything were really baked around that. It's only once we moved to a weekly schedule and turned it into TNW and got a few months removed from that where I really looked back <laughs> and I was like, holy cow, like that was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. That was insane. You know, always, you know, searching for new guests every single day, five days a week, find a new guest and everything like that. Um, so anyways, it's, I've seen a lot of change here. I've seen some pretty significant ups and I've seen some downs and, you know, I think overall I've just, I'm just really grateful for, um, being able to come here and, um, talk in front of a camera about how I think about things and like make a career for myself and a life for my family and, um, some really wonderful friends. I've God, I've loved everybody I've worked with here. You know, that's, I think what's hard. What's, what's good for, from my perspective and maybe not from yours, if you don't want to see me around here, but like (laughs) I literally live like seven minutes away. And, uh, so I'm not, really, you know, too far away. And I don't plan on being a stranger. Um, just because like I said, you guys are, you're my friends, you're my family and, um, you're such a significant part of my life and have been for so long, you know? So I'm going to, I'm going to miss that. I did though, while I was thinking about this, I did kind of put, uh, bring together just a couple of things, if you don't mind, yes, please. Um, when I, I was thinking about you know, okay, I've seen a lot and I've done a lot since I've been at Twit. Like, what are some of the thing, the moments that really stand out for me? Like when I really think about the things that, that I cherish. And actually right before the show, uh, Jammer B mentioned, uh, one that I forgot about, which was when we went to, was it our first 
time at Google I.O. where we were invited to Google I.O. It wasn't our first time at Google I.O., but it was our first time interviewing the, the, the top brass at the event. And uh, we set it up on their campus and everything. And I'm not certain exactly why, but for whatever reason, I decided to pull out my phone and hit record on the audio recorder and put it on the table. Something I don't normally do. Well, it turned out that there was a mic level, line level issue on the master recording of the interview. And at the end of the day, had I not done this, we would have lost the interview entirely. Wow. But for whatever reason, I decided to put that phone out there and we were able to to salvage that. And it was just one of those moments where it was like, it's just thank craziness. Goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But anyways, thank you for reminding me of that, John, because that was, that was good. Um, the two-factor folly moment. <laughs> On This Week in Google, which was basically um, uh, while I was hosting an episode of Twig, I decided, I, you know, I don't, I'm not signed up for two-factor, so I'm going to go ahead and do this while we're on the show, because Leo does that all yeah. the time. He's always like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it on the fly. You know, yeah. meanwhile, he's a total expert. And what I did wrong is I put in my Google voice phone number as the two-factor destination number for the text SMS code. Okay. And what that means is in order for me to log into my account to get access to my Google Voice, <laughs> no! to get I need the Google Voice to get the code. And so it basically my account was completely, you know, inaccessible. Oh. And I was only granted access primarily because we knew people. You oh, know what I mean? Sure. Like at the end of the day, it would have been very hard for me, if not impossible, if if we didn't do what we do. So um, so that was that was interesting. Skydiving with Anthony Nielsen. And this is actually, I don't what? know if I, I don't think I know about. Okay, this. well, the, it was indoor skydiving uh, for uh, new screensavers at iFly. And it's like a VR experience. So you go into this, oh, this tunnel. Vomit inducing. Yeah. Oh, but I was so excited. You go into this tunnel and, you know, it's a high pressure, high power air blowing through and you're wearing your, your suit and everything like that. And it kind of whips you around. I don't know that we ever really talked about this and I'm just going to go rogue and, and mention this because, uh, because it's long gone at this point. But when they suited me up, well, when they gave me the suit, they told me how to suit myself up. And I buttoned it or I Velcroed it, but I didn't zip it. Uh -huh. And I didn't realize this. I was kind of caught up in the moment. And so when I went in there the first time, it was only Velcro holding the suit closed and there was no zipper to really hold it closed. So that air is coming through super powerful. Suddenly my jacket went, opened up. And my head went into the window. Like, Ooh. I just went head first right into that window. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, thankfully I was okay. Yeah. And, you know, kind of shook it off. And we took like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to, to really recover. And then it was like, do you want to still do this? <laughs> it was like, yes, I definitely want to still do this. Oh, I was man. a little, I had a little bit of soreness, you know, for like a week or whatever. But I took really good care of myself. And I think after that, Lisa was like, we're not doing things like that anymore. <laughs> do not do that anymore. So... Um, so that was definitely memorable. Uh, new screensavers title sequence. If you ever watched the new screensavers, um, and this is just a weekend of fun with so many really great, uh, you know, friends here at Twit riding around on those. Um, uh, why am I suddenly blanking? The segways. Well, the segways. Yeah, through San Francisco, through Petaluma. It felt like we were on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. It felt like we were really special, like super special. Uh, on TV and just a, a lot of fun filming that uh, playing Starship Horizons. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, bridge simulator here in the studio 
with everybody. That was also for new screensavers. And that was just, you know, super nerdy fun. And I think the last one. Oh, yeah, this is this is it. And we were all like perched around the oh, table. Neat. Yeah. Megan, Victor, Brian, Patrick. Uh, was Padre in there? Did Look I at you tap on the screen. Touch screen. Yeah. Indeed. It was it was just so much fun. And oh, and Alex. Gumpel, oh, I love that everybody's got their different roles. Yes, it was a really, really well set up and well designed and a lot of fun. And then the last one, because I could go on for far too long and I probably already have, is um cooking in place or cooking yes. in place, uh the twit after hours experience oh, you poor with you. Because you're something <laughs> what happened, something went wrong, your something didn't turn on or wouldn't start, and so you had to oh. you don't remember that? You're Oh, what was oven it? wasn't working or something. And so you ended up going outside and grilling. Oh, that's right. Person. I forgot about yeah. that. That's right. There was just so much happening during <laughs> this, you know, and it was, it was COVID time. Yes. And so we had to really, and then of course there's my daughters because they were very, you know, very much required themselves to be a part of this. And I love that we did because it was a, it's a moment that we still talk about where Aww. they're like, you remember when we did that cooking show, you know, cause they see it as like a true TV yeah. moment, you know? Oh and yeah. Same. My family. I remember whenever you were on the TV doing this, that, yeah, yeah. They, they loved that. Yeah. Too. It was amazing. So Anyways, uh, I've, you know, I, I think very fondly of this place and, um, all the opportunity that I've been given and just, uh, can't thank, you know, Leo and Lisa and everyone here, um, for just being so wonderful and, uh, giving me so many opportunities to learn and grow. And I also thank you out there for watching and listening, uh, for the last 13 years here at twit. And, you know, more than that, if you were, you know, with me at, at CNET, um, where uh, where I'm at now is, you know, I'm put into a, a really interesting situation where it's like, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do when I grow up? <laughs> and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go independent because I've thought about it for a very long time um, prior to this, mm -hmm. considered what it would be like. I know a lot of people who have done that. And it just kind of seems like a moment where it's like, you know what? Might as well try. Throw the spaghetti on the wall. See what happens. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'll figure it out. But I hope that it will work out. So what I have set up is um, if you go to uh, freejasonnewsletter.com. Actually, I have to hit publish on this because I didn't want to publish it before the show. But freejasonnewsletter.com. You'll see kind of like a post. that, And it is exactly what it says. It's, it's basically it's a point for you to follow the things that I'm up to. I just got it. Did you? Did yeah. you get notified about it? I got an email about oh, okay. it. Okay. See, that's why I didn't want to publish it too soon. I didn't want, you know, to, to beat anyone to it or, or make people, you know, wonder what this is about, about without any context. But um, yeah, just go there, freejasonnewsletter.com. Um, I'm going to keep that updated on exactly what I'm up to because it really is a moving target right now. I do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Jason Howell. Um, that's for, you know, if you want to get in kind of in the beginning and uh, be a part of helping me with it, because my hope is to kind of exp uh, expand this opportunity out to the people who who do care enough to, to kind of be involved yeah. and, uh, and help me come up with some ideas. I've got a ton of ideas set aside and I'm not going to get into all this stuff right now, but just go to one of those places. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all this time at Twit. I really do appreciate it. And I've just had a wonderful, um, wonderful 13 years here and it's been really wonderful and you can hear my voice cracking. <laughs> that's because I care and thank you. And that's it. That's what I got. Thank you, Jason. Thank you <laughs> yeah. for everything. Yeah.
Would you like to sign us off? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's usually it's, my thing, isn't it? You get to it? do it still. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So uh, we do, or rather going forward, Micah does Tech News Weekly every Thursday at twit.tv slash TNW. That's where you can go to find all the ways to subscribe to this wonderful show uh, in audio and video formats, twit.tv slash TNW. If you'd like to get all of our shows ad-free and help support the network, make sure we can keep on keeping on, please check out Club Twit. $7 a month, uh, $84 per year year to join the club at twit.tv slash club twit when you join the club you get some great stuff first and foremost you get every single twit show with no ads it's just the content um you also gain access to the twit plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else behind the scenes before the show after the show special club twit events get published there so when you join the club you'll get a huge back catalog of stuff it's awesome, uh, as well as access to the members-only Discord server, a fun place to go to chat with your fellow Club Twit members and all of uh, us here at Twit as well. So be sure to check it out again. Twit.tv slash Club Twit, $7 a month, $84 a year. Along with that, um, you will get some Club Twit exclusive shows. There's the Untitled Linux Show, which is, as you might imagine, a show all about Linux. There's Hands on Windows, which is a short format show from Paul Therott that covers Windows tips and tricks. There's Hands on Mac, which is an Apple show that covers Apple tips and tricks from yours truly, as well as Home Theater Geeks from Scott Wilkinson. Uh, It's a show full of interviews, reviews, um, and well, what else? Product reviews. I already said that. <laughs> it's it's a lot of great stuff involving the home theater, all available at twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, you can check out my show iOS Today on Tuesdays, which I host with Rosemary Orchard. You can check out Hands on Mac if you're a club member. Uh, later today, that'll publish. And then, of course, on Sundays, you can tune in to watch... Uh, Oh, wow, not Home Theater Geeks. Where is my brain? You can tell it's elsewhere. Uh, Ask the Tech Guys, which is a great show that uh, Leo Laporte and I host where you call in, ask your questions, and we do our best to answer them. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm at Micah Sargent on many a social media network where you can head to chihuahua.coffee. That's C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee where I've got links to the places I'm most active online. Uh, Jason Howell. Yeah. Where could people find you online? <laughs> well, I did, you know, do the Raygun.fun thing there. I'll, I'll update that a little bit later this afternoon. I have a, a feeling I'm going to be pretty busy today. Um, and then, yeah, just go to freejasonnewsletter.com. If you subscribe there, you'll, you'll be able to follow along with everything that I'm going to be up to in the coming weeks and months. And cross my fingers, it all works out. Um, big thanks to everyone here in the studio, because now the studio has a lot more people in it. Y'all are amazing. And I, I, I really do truly love you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for such a wonderful time uh, working here. Thank you, Micah. Thank, Thank you. you for watching and listening each and every week. And Micah, we'll see you next time on Tech News Weekly. Bye, Bye everybody. Yay. Oh, oh you guys. <laughs> all right, let's all get in there. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's okay. It's okay. I'm literally five minutes away. <laughs> Listeners of this program get an ad-free version if they're members of Club Twit. $7 a month gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows. Plus, membership in the Club Twit Discord, a great clubhouse for Twit listeners. And finally, the Twit Plus feed with shows like Stacy's Book Club, The Untitled Linux Show, and more. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. And thanks for your support.